What's the best site in India? The Taj Mahal, the Golden Temple? For Rintwa, it's his market stall. Some years ago, he lost his sight and then his job. I'm Lisa from Specsavers and we help the Hope Foundation provide eye care in Kolkata. Rintwa was found to have cataracts. The charity performed surgery, which gave him his vision back. He regained confidence and returned to work. Find out how we're changing people's lives for the better at specsavers.ie. Hello, I'm Connor Faulkner and this is Driving Life. Welcome to episode 27, where I get to sit down and chat with former Labour leader and Taunishta Joan Burton. She was good enough to come round to my office come studio come hideout in Knocklion, and we chatted about her life as an adopted child in Dublin, early professional life as a female accountant, her time spent in Africa, and then her move into politics and eventually the top of government. But before we start, I'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to our sponsors, to Specsavers, to Doro Mobile Phones, and to Express. Expressway Buses. Three great companies in three very different areas. They're very good to support us, so thank you very much. Don't forget to check out earlier episodes and other chats. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. But now, let's hand Joan the cup of tea and start her chatting. Hello, Joan Burton. Thanks very much for coming to see me. Hello. Uh, thank you. And it's lovely to be in a lovely garden with the rain stopped. With the rain stopped, yeah, and the sun out, and me keeping an eye on the washing on the line. If it lashes rain, I'll have to scramble. You came across the M50 to me today. You're, you're still uh, I did, yes. And I, I'm now very f- more familiar with a lot of knock line than I was. I mm. thought I knew most of it, which would be down by the Andavan area. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, you're further up in the mountains. We're tucked in. We're tucked in. Yeah. Um, so, Listen, how is life? You, 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 um, you've been a feature of public life for as long as I, I can remember until 2020 when, when, you know, that chapter ended for the time being. What are you up to? How are you getting on? Well, essentially, I've been doing what most people during COVID have been doing. I've been uh, clearing out the house mm-hmm. and getting rid of a lot of papers and stuff. Um, I think like everybody, we've accumulated an awful lot of stuff. So um, I've also been um, just uh, creating a bit of an archive of papers that okay. I want to hold on to and material like photographs that I want to hold on to and other stuff then that I don't. So I've just been doing a lot of that. Um, since we, we got released from COVID, and mm. thankfully we were very lucky, neither myself nor Pat uh, caught it. Um, but, you know, we'd relatives who did yeah. and uh, people who had very difficult situations. So I think the post-COVID period has been a bit of a change for yeah. everybody, a wonderful change in the sense of a sense of freedom. And then, of course, knowing what to do. So we've done a small bit of traveling. I went for the first time to Mallorca. Oh, very good. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, we did a little bit of walking and it was absolutely gorgeous. And uh, we're hoping uh, to do a trip to the Canaries this this winter as well for a week or so uh, with some friends. So essentially, I think like a lot of people, I haven't made any huge plans. I'm hoping uh, to work on, um, you know, my own sort of memoir. Yeah, yeah. But I need to get down to that very soon. And that's so, that's difficult. So assembling the archives and going through. The yeah, boxes, I've been going through. I've been going through a lot of stuff and just ha- just just as I say, um, ditching a lot. 
but also holding on to a lot uh, to try and just reduce it to one small room. And you know, it's it's going to wind up being a thick book, Joan, because um, I mean, you've been amazing witness to history, the the period of Irish life that you've lived. Through. Uh, yes, and uh, my own experiences as well. Um, I've also been involved, as well as being involved in politics per se. I've always been involved and interested, for instance, in the history of adoption in Ireland and yeah. of institutions in Ireland. You were adopted yourself. I was adopted myself and for the first two years of my life I lived in a very upmarket location in Black Rock uh, which was a baby home and uh, run by the Sisters of Charity and from there I was adopted. I was very lucky. Yeah. I'm always conscious of how lucky I was uh, by the um, by the Burtons mm. and uh, who are a wonderful family yeah. and uh, in some ways very diff- different to me in the sense that they can all sing, dance and <laughs> everything like that. So I often say that I got involved in speaking because mm. politics is particularly about speaking, uh, probably because I just didn't fit the singing and dancing yeah. side of, of life. But, but, but it was a happy childhood though. Uh, yes, it was, yes, you were, didn't fit in. Uh, it was, well, I mean, I knew that I was rather different in... Did you know you were adopted from I always, and they always told me. And they were all around five foot two to five foot five, and I'm slightly different to that. So people were saying, where did you get her? And uh, the other thing, of course, was always, you're so tall. Do you not think you might be, you know, and I I would always know what was coming next. Um, Would you be a Garda? Or would you be a nun? Neither of us. So, so anyway, all, all of that uh, career advice as, as well was probably enough to steer me yeah. completely clear of those of those well, particular... Uh, well, you, actually, you actually trained as an accountant, I think, didn't you? I did, yes. Yeah. I, I, I worked for about... I, I basically had uh, three, if you like, working lives. Yeah. And uh, that's why uh, I, I often feel uh, people actually, in a way, should be more adventurous mm. and say, look, Things happen and then you move on to something else. So my first job, the day I left college, I became a trainee accountant yeah. uh, with Price Waterhouse. Okay. And I worked with them for about seven years and I had a great time. When I walked into the office, as had been true in my uh, in my time in UCD, I got a scholarship to UCD and did be calm. Mm. But when I walked into the, the the offices there, I was actually the first woman accountant they had taken on for maybe about twenty five years. Really, uh, but after me, uh, uh, lots of uh, nowadays uh, the profession is fifty fifty. Yeah, uh, as a lot of the other professions, the as profession. the laws going yeah. that way, yes. And uh, so, so is the medical profession. Yeah. Uh, not not so yet at the top of those professions, but perhaps that will come in time. With the... uh, well, I hope so. Well, also, I think most women do try uh, to balance having a family yeah. uh, with working and a career. And essentially, that takes 10, 15 years where maybe you're simply not available yeah. in the way that people who don't have those direct commitments but nowadays you know it's inevitably it's kind of, kind of you know just it's inevitably it counts against you doesn't it in sort of busy office. well it just takes a lot of your life which yeah. is a, for most people is a wonderful part mm. of their life I, I've just one daughter and um, I mean I found being involved with having a child and bringing my daughter up I, that was a wonderful part of our lives yeah. and uh, we're still all great friends yeah. <laughs> 
Um, in fact, I read that you, your husband and your daughter were essentially your political team. There was nobody else. Um, well, there were actually quite a lot of other people uh, and a lot of people on the ground. But yes, they were both very, they both are very sage and really don't deal in bullshit. <laughs> so other people who might say, oh, you're wonderful, that doesn't come uh, with the territory. They're just very analytical and very honest. Yeah. And I think particularly in a job like politics where Plamos is part of it, mm. um, having people who are quite honest who are saying that was terrific or saying about something else, I'm not sure about kind that, maybe you, you could do better, you know? Yeah, kind of keeps you grounded a bit, doesn't it? Uh, I think it does, yeah. 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 So, so why politics, John? Because one of the things I think we, we talk about in a little while is, is kind of obstacles to going into politics now. Um, but in your case... Was it a, was it a passion? Were you, a, you know, a, a I was always or? interested in politics from the time I could read and write. I was just always conscious of events, and I always read newspapers. And yeah. I still always read newspapers. So I think one of the things with politics is just being interested in how things happen mm. and how you make things happen. When I was growing up, it was at a time when the education system was expanding, yeah. but not expanding that quickly. So, for instance, I went to school in Stanhope Street, having gone to two other primary schools earlier on, but finally settled in Stanhope Street. And um, at that stage, a lot of people, and particularly women, mm. uh, girls getting education, didn't go past junior cert. Yeah. Uh, and then the Leaving Cert opened up and I was in the second or third Leaving Cert uh, class in Stanhope Street, which is now the very fashionable Stony Batter on Dawson Town Road, which is where I was brought up, um, but which wasn't as fashionable then. It was a lovely area. It's the markets part of yeah, Dublin. Yeah. And in fact, now what was also a huge landmark that we could see out of the window of, of our school, uh, the upper stories, uh, was the was Grange Gorman, yeah. uh, which must have been one of the biggest asylums in Europe. Uh, I was always delighted that when I was in government, one of the decisions I was really strongly party to was seeing Grange Gorman becoming the campus of the new university, where actually I had previously worked there for about 20 years, first in Rockmines and then in Angel Street, working on both business courses and also doing economics for journalists. Oh, and uh, business understanding, you know, kind of maybe taking some of the um, the commissions of inquiry, the, the tribunal mm. reports, and uh, saying to say student journalists, read it and, you know, tell us the story back very and good. tell us what you think. Yeah, oh, uh, that was very enjoyable. Yeah. But I was just always interested in current affairs. In the 1980s, myself and Pat uh, also pursued another interest, which was to uh, go and work in Africa. I, really? We had both been involved in the anti-apartheid movement and I had been its honorary secretary in the uh, late 1970s, early 80s. Uh, you remember what, Asmal, Kader Asmal. yes. I worked very closely with Kader and Louise Asmal. And now I was just voluntary uh, secretary, yeah. uh, or honorary secretary, I think was the title. But um, we, we always wanted to go to Africa mm. and to see Africa. 
And we decided, like, either you do that as a retirement or we do it now when we were in our early 30s. Yeah, yeah. And Aoife was about three years old. So we did that for three years. Whereabouts did you go? We went to Tanzania in East Africa. And, uh, in fact, um, one of the... When we went there, we were working with the Irish Development Programme through an educational part Mm. called APSO, which some of your readers might have heard, or listeners might have heard of it. And um, one of the things we did was we got through the embassy uh, a kind of second-hand Land Rover uh, with three matching tyres and one slightly different, (laughs) or matching wheels, one slightly different. And we actually uh, drove through places like the Serengeti in that, yeah. With me being the driver. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> you driving. I was I I have always been driving since I was about 18. Well, that's and, intrepid. Uh, Pat uh, then learned to drive in Africa because he had to. Wow. <laughs> and uh, has has driven ever since. But yes, it was just fascinating to go to the country at that time I, I, I have been on a seasonal road in a jeep in Africa but not as the driver <laughs> pretty intrepid on you um, I wouldn't do it now no. <laughs> um, well the roads are better but when particularly uh, if you're out in what's uh, basically a game reserve you just you, but you always do need people with you oh yeah 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 or and, and usually as well in those days with families families drove in a little convoy together so you always had somebody else on the road Um, but also occasionally if the car you know if it broke down uh, you'd always find that if you waited about 10 minutes people would arrive even though you were in a a, a apparently limitless space yeah yeah extraordinary there would be Um, people so what an experience sponsored by expressway with My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Back in Dublin, what got you active in the Labour Party specifically? Um, I was always uh, attached to the Labour Party, but when we came back, uh, from Africa, I I just found that, for instance, if you like social rights, like the right of people to divorce in uh, countries like Tanzania, which was basically um, partly Christian, partly Muslim, partly local religions, uh, was available constitutionally. And so when I came back, um, having been involved in the Labour Party, I got re-involved yeah. and at this stage Pat had really been the one who'd been more what interested in running for politics. Early 80s. Uh, the middle the middle 1980s, 83, 86. Yeah. So I, at the Irish culture war and things like divorce and abortion was was raised was, full strong. Uh, yes yeah. and when you know if you're living particularly in uh, in those days in Africa there wasn't much 
video. There wasn't much TV or anything yeah. like that. Um, so, in fact, you listen to the radio a lot. And uh, that's really where you got most of your news. And by calling into the embassy every so often and seeing, could you find a paper yeah, yeah. that might be four weeks old? And in fact, I remember we went into the, uh, we were on, walking on the beach one day and we met this guy and we just knew by the, his appearance he was likely to be Irish. So yeah. we started chatting and it turned out he was working with the ESB. Okay. And he was wearing um, a T-shirt that said, I'm a Kerry baby. And we were saying, what, what, what's the T-shirt? Yeah. And then he started to tell us. So we drove directly into the embassy to find out uh, what was this really heartbreaking God, story, story yeah. uh, from, from, from Kerry. Because, because of my own background of, you know, of, of, of having been adopted and being in an institution in my early life, I've always you, been interested. Yeah. So we went in and we found the papers and um, the, um, the, 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 the ambassador at the time, um, he was actually from, he had Kerry roots himself. So it just, it just seemed, when, when we came back to Ireland then, a huge amount of change yeah. was beginning. Yeah. And um, the first divorce referendum had been defeated, but the second was carried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second divorce referendum then carried, but it carried very narrowly. By a whisker. I, I well remember yeah. the night of that count coming in. We were actually doing business at the time with a crowd from Northern Ireland. And we were on some sort of, so we were out together in Dublin um, for whatever was going on with these guys in the north. And um, so we watched it avidly and it was only something like 30,000 votes. That's right. Absolute yeah. whisker. And, and yet, um, in a sense, you could say Ireland never turned back. It, 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 it. No, and I think what all of those referenda did on personal rights was that often people put themselves in the shoes of other people and said, well, if that was me and uh, I, I, I wanted a formal separation and a divorce and a chance to remarry, um, I, I, I'd want to be able to do that. I mightn't do it. I might yeah. never want to do it, but I would want to do it. And I think a kind of a spirit of generosity in relation uh, to constitutional reform yeah. arose. And in many ways, I think the 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 uh, three the current president we've had and the two presidents mm. before if you look at Mary Robinson Mary McAleese and Michael D they have all in a certain sense as public representatives been a very high caliber yeah. but also very compassionate yeah. in terms of uh, there's been a very good debate in Ireland and people then saying if you like I'm not going to stand in the way of somebody else's rights yeah. to live their life in their own particular yeah, way. Because we are a compassionate country. I mean, by instinct, um, we, you know, we are. And we've made enormous social progress during your time in public office. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't agree with some people and some political parties who you know, put Ireland down in a certain sense as being one of the worst countries in the world. Yeah, because it just isn't true. Having travelled, yeah. that's, yeah. that's a fantasy. It is. Um, because, okay, we mightn't be the same, and I, I suppose the measuring, the, we're, me, we're measuring ourselves there really against other European countries, the UK and uh, the United States. But there's so much that's good in Ireland. Yes. Um, that yeah. while... I think it's always the job of politicians to make things better and to try and identify the people who might be 
you know, finding good things in and, Irish and, life. And, and, and it's uh, it's a good country. It, it is a great country of which we I, should be proud. I, I am I am very proud of it. One of my regular bar stool arguments is defending the country from the sort of um, instinctive bitching that you hear sometimes, uh, um, which I just think kind of drags us down. And I think character of Irish politicians on the whole pretty good. Um, now. Some things went well, you might say, in terms of the social agenda, but you were also in office um, in really challenging times. I'm thinking about the financial crisis and what yeah. works thereafter. Yeah, and I, I would say there that my background in terms of uh, being an accountant and also having worked in a lot of different businesses, yeah. uh, you know, when, when, when most of the accounting I did was auditing. Yeah. So that really means that you're going from a very big multinational to a very big Irish company company to tiny Irish businesses so actually that was in fact a great preparation in a way for politics and for being involved in financial decisions Mm. and also in social welfare decisions because the reality in politics is that there is never as much money as you would like there to be so A you have to devise constructive ways that people uh, consent to contribute and then you have to find good ways of ensuring that that money is well spent and gets yeah. to the people who need it. And you can argue about the details of all of those things. Absolutely. But you're, but you're, not, you're not going to argue about the principle. Um, remind us of what your role was during the financial crisis, just the chronology well, of that. I suppose my role began as the financial crisis. I became, when Pat Rabbit became the leader of the Labour Party, um, the relationship between us, I would always say, was always rather testing. Really? Always struck me as a genial fellow. Oh, very genial, but testing. (laughs) And uh, anyway, uh, I I went in to uh, see him and. He said, well, you know, what position would you like? And I said, well, I'd like to be the finance spokesperson Mm. because I think I'm qualified to do it, uh, you know. And which was one of the few occasions when I went in and I said to myself, yes, I want that job, which a lot of women don't tend to do, and which I had never done before, because people often approached me and said, would you do this, would Mm. you do that, and then I gave the answer. So I decided this time, well, if I'm going in for this interview with a a new leader of the Labour Party, I'm going to tell him what I want. Yeah, very good. (laughs) uh, He just said yes. (laughs) So that's how I took on the finance portfolio. Um, So essentially we were coming into that boom period in Ireland, And um, this there, was the end, towards the end of the boom where people yeah, were starting to put their yeah. fingers in their and ears going. The other is- thing was as well that th- there was just very, you know, people, if you like, including people in the Doyle, were enjoying the fact that the boom was there. Things had and never been so good. And it was getting boomier, to quote, uh, quote Bertie. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, really, uh, where in terms of taxation, First of all, I was always interested in a broad concept called tax justice. Mm. In other words, if we're going to pay for the society we want, we do have to contribute tax. Yeah. But it does have to be done in a just way. And that does mean that if people are lucky enough to be very well off, they should pay a little more. Mm. That's would be my basic yeah. philosophy. That's what we have in Ireland. You and know, that's the what we... Were quite yeah, yeah. Now, we also do, though, have sectors... 
mainly in the corporate sector, uh, and I'm not talking about the American businesses coming in, but but there were a lot of tax loopholes in the Irish tax system where if people spent money on something in particular, they could write it all off. Yeah. So, for instance, a lot of people in different professions, if they wanted to, as the housing boom grew, they could easily find tax devices whereby they invested in a second or a third. Or yeah. even I can remember meeting people saying, well, I just have 12 properties. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah. But, but you know, they're doing it in a business-like way. But a lot of them were not contributing tax. And that's what contributed uh, as well as obviously, um, you know, what was happening with the banks because the banks were lending all that money so that we were creating oh, our own boom. So I, beca- I, I became a critic of that uh, and I became a critic uh, particularly of the tax system. And in fact, I had a lot of run, runs in at the time uh, with, with, uh, with the, the then Minister for Finance, Brian Cowan, who then became Taoiseach. Yeah. And in fact, one day in exasperation, he said to Eamon Gilmore, who was then the leader of the Labour Party, could you not shut her up? (laughs) Because I suppose I was obsessing a little bit about the um, structural details on tax. But then... Yeah, you you then subsequently, you spoke against the bank guarantee, I think. I spoke against the bank guarantee because I thought it was a blank cheque. And it was my absolute instinct. And part of it was based on my experience of seeing the IMF in different African countries when I lived in Africa. And I actually knew these guys will be, because they were old guys, these guys will be the toughest of the tough. And they will not, you know, be particularly sentimental or nice or nice. Yes, very nice to deal with, but very, very, very tough. And I mean, if the IMF lend a country which is in trouble uh, money, they want a high rate of interest. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you look at our budget in Ireland for the last couple of years has been relatively good going, partly because Irish debt has been able to be rolled over at almost no interest cost. Yes. The interest rates at the moment are beginning. We should have refinanced more of it when we had a chance, actually. Yeah, and the interest rates are beginning to go up now. But basically, when the interest rates went above a certain level, when they were going over 7% and were going to go up to 10 13% as a country, and most countries would have been exactly the same, we could no longer finance that. Because remember, national debt is uh, sold and paid for generally at much lower rate than a personal loan yeah. in a bank to buy a house or, you know, for yeah, whatever. The basic principle being that if you have a sovereign bond from the Irish government that says it'll pay you 2% over 10 years, uh, you know, the measure of the reliability. And, and, the reason, and the reason you trust Ireland or you trust France or you trust... Uh, other countries is there'll always be an Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there'll always be, you well, know. I mean, Ireland didn't default in, in 2007 and eight. Uh, you know, we didn't burn the bondholders. It was a widespread clamour to do so. But in fact, now, it, 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 you know, that's good for our credibility. Ireland has never defaulted. And that's one of the reasons why we can borrow at such low rates. Yeah. And in fact, when uh, Spain and uh, Italy got into even worse difficulties than yes. Ireland, 
by then the EU had, if you like, learned the lesson that simply, you know, uh, being incredibly tough on Ireland uh, was unfair. And in fact, we've seen in COVID that they went to the next steps and said, we recognise that countries need money to keep afloat. We've we've borrowing power. Mm. We can do that and we're not going to kill them. I wonder if we had taken the COVID response to the financial crisis at the time. Um, I mean, because enormous amounts of money were printed. Um, but when COVID hit, all the countries in Europe were essentially told, whatever it takes, go ahead and spend. Uh, whereas in the austerity period, they were told the very opposite. Absolutely. And that was because the European institutions were at a very, if you like, earlier stage of development. Mm -hmm. But in fact, when you think about it, uh, the whole thing of imposing debt on people, we see the same to a certain extent Mm. now with rents. When when certain costs become unmeetable by people, it's not that... Uh, it, it's not a kind of uh, can't pay, won't pay, or won't pay, mm. uh, you know, which you know applies maybe to some so, some issues yeah. at, at certain times, but it is about saying this is society. We all need to keep going, and we need we need fairness. And if, it, if I think if you approach it in that sense, you're going to say let's find a solution, mm. and. You can find solutions to most things. It was a horrible time uh, when I became Minister uh, for Social Protection. In many ways, I'd expected to be Minister for Finance. Well, I know, but I I wonder would that have been a good thing or a bad thing? But you, you, you then came into government post the crash, didn't you? Yes. It was was your your, your, uh, coalition that essentially had to clean up the wreck. Yes. And it was a lot of wreckage. And the worst was literally calling to houses like here, uh, like anywhere in Ireland, and uh, two people coming to the door, say a couple, and one saying, often the man, uh, because remember, every building job and every engineering job in the country had just gone bust, gone. And people who had been working all their lives were now finding, I don't have a job. And say um, very often, the woman in the family, maybe she'd been working in a bank or something like that. It was actually easier for her to go back to work than for the man to find a job uh, in an industry and in a whole sectors that had become redundant. Uh, So that that was an enormous difficulty. And has it happened to you know to to men in generations previously in the seventies and eighties when you know a man is made redundant in his early forties and at that stage faced the prospect he might never work again. Um, and you know, the, thankfully, it didn't turn out that way. But it, the outlook was that bleak in It was ex- it was extremely bleak because, it, and you know, people said at various times, both Bertie Hearn and um, and Kenny, um, that the country. The implication was that the country had parted, but it was much more complex than that. This was, a, if you like, a, a developing economy where mm. people were looking to actually represent that development and um, also an expanding population. Mm. People thought they had seen the back of emigration. That was a great political achievement yeah, before yeah. the crash because people would say, you know, my son can get a job in Ireland. My daughter can stay in Ireland. And she can get a job. Ways. And then that all changed and 
you know, tens of thousands went to Australia or wherever they could go that they could get yeah. a job. So in some cases, emigration is good in a sense in that, you know, people do feel that there's a world of opportunity and very often a lot of them spin back and when they come back, they bring world experience and knowledge and exactly. all, all that good stuff. I think when you live in an island, yeah. there's always a desire to travel. Yeah. If you look at people in New Zealand, they all want to travel. I think most young people in Ireland have a yen that at some stage, They'll do six months yeah, or three years. I mean, I did it myself. Yeah, you, have, you have to get off the rock. When sometimes. I came back, I really looked at Ireland differently. So, and at that stage, when I came back in '86, um, you know, the country uh, was was getting uh, was it, getting it, to it. It was probably uh, well. I, I would say 1986. I'd say the country was 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 still in the gutter, but at least it was looking up rather yes. than down. Yeah. At that yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, and, and I've said before. I think when do you date it? It's sometime around about maybe the Dublin Millennium in '88 or Italian '90 yeah. or something. Yeah. But there was a twisting point there where where the country kind of became confident. You know, and it, it suddenly it, began it, to take off. It as suddenly well. began to take a couple of Eurovision Song Contests. Yes. And a, and yes. A, and, a, and a penalty shootout win, and away we go. Um, but it's funny what confidence is, and, and to, to the modern generation in Ireland. Yeah, we have one currently with one big failure on the copybook, uh, which is housing. We haven't provided sufficient housing. Yes. And it, it is a serious fault line in the country at the moment. But on a whole load of other headings, on the to-do list of the government that you know you, you, you were part of uh, immediately post-financial crisis, um, now eating bread is soon forgotten, um, but the stabilisation of the banking system, the reboot of the economy, you know, the, the, the Just getting people back to work. Was an enormous achievement, um, but you, I guess you'll never get credit for that. They will talk about what you didn't do. So why didn't you spend all of that period? I think I think there's two levels to it. I think if you expect deep appreciation at the ballot box, You're that's unlikely business. to come. <laughs> yeah. So I think you have to be very realistic and and quite tough about that. But if you're talking about people on an individual basis, mm. um, people are quite fair because, you know, they look back and what was the most important thing for them, that they and their families came out of it. And in fact, that as far as possible, their children did well. Yeah. Now, I think most people who are parents now of uh, children who are, say, between 20 and 40, yeah when you leave aside the housing issue, they generally feel their kids have had access to a very good education. I mean, it's quite striking now, the difference between uh, a lot of different parts of the UK and Ireland. Yeah. Ireland has a sense of can-do. Um, there's, there's a lot of very, very, uh, what would you say, creative people yeah. in Ireland. And, uh, you know, their creativity. Now, not, I'm, I'm not suggesting that everything is perfect. Uh, we also have a good education system. I think what we have to do, though, is to make sure we try and keep all those good things and continue to develop them. Yeah, uh, and, and not assume yesterday's wins are just, you know, the way it is because we're Ireland. I mean, yesterday's wins had to be earned, didn't they? Um, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, going into politics these days because um, an, another feature of the modern world is uh, um, social media and the sort of general quality of public discourse in, in ways that has got very, very, very nasty. Um, and one of the consequences of that is why would anyone 
go into politics. If uh, you know, it, it is such a um, you, you you have to resign yourself to near permanent abuse and lack of appreciation. Um, what what? Why would you do it? And and is that getting worse these days? And and, and is it worse for women? I mean, I do believe it is. Um, anyway. Well, I think it's absolutely worse for women, and certainly. I myself was quite badly affected by it. So, in fact, uh, when... Somebody, I, just, you know, obviously you know this, but I mean, back at the time, all you had to do was, was put Joan Burton... Oh, it was horrible. And the stuff that came... It was, was, it, was, it was racist, abusive. Yeah. Um, it was, a lot of it, obviously, uh, was about my origins, which was particularly oh. hurtful. Um, it, it was incredibly horrible. But... I, I had a, a kind of a test. To be clear, including literal death threats. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I, I remember getting really upset at one stage by someone who was threatening to throw acid on my face. And for some reason, that kind of got to me. For yeah. the, the reason that it's a terrifying thing to say to somebody, I'm going to destroy your, your yeah. sight and your face. And um, I suppose any sign of these idiots being caught and punished her. No, you know, no, because spitting venom into the air. There was no, and what what you have to ask as well, if if they're say people maybe in their thirties or forties and they have a ten or a fifteen year old, what are they learning? Because yeah. okay, most parents, uh, their children are not directly, you know, yeah. on their devices. But children know an awful yeah. lot that goes on in the house they live in. And and certainly that kind of hatred. But as I said, it's 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 very pleasant to meet people. There's no problem with yeah. that. Face I mean you get right. you get the odd person who wants to sound it off, but that's that's their entitlement. Yeah. And you know, any kind of criticism that's fair. That just goes so with the job. Is there anything we can do in a global problem? But is there oh, I think there's a very this? simple thing that the media companies can do. I think if you have to put your name to the post, yeah, uh, and or or you can search for that name and find it. So even if somebody has four or five accounts, you can check yeah. that that is uh, J Blogs. Yeah, and you can send that person a letter. I would say a huge amount of that would die off. I, th- I think the media com- media companies get a lot of extra clicks. Yeah. Um, I'm quite sure that there are devices, uh, technical devices that could be used to track, in particular, having an ultimate human owner. Yeah. You know when you tick those boxes, is this a human being? Well, there, there, there is a conversation about uh, you know absolute right to privacy. And, and you know, we're talking about Ireland and politicians being abused, but they're you know, abuse of countries around the world where, where uh, online anonymity um, can be a force for good. Um, and, uh, you know, forcing those people out into the open might put their lives at risk. Um, so how do you stack that against the troll who's looking at football on the telly and, and typing yeah. outrageously hurtful and yeah. things yeah. just throwing them into the air? I, I, th- I think, you know, that you have to recognise that there is a way of meeting both requirements um, by having an actual set standard because the the media companies have to have a sense of social responsibility mm. to the people who are living their lives on their devices. Yeah. I mean, you don't say to the driver of a bus, now get out there and do whatever you like on the roads, 
the structures and uh, as a driver, you yeah, don't yeah, get yeah. out of the well. So, the, and when people do it like that, they're very dangerous to other people. So, I, I do think you need structures and I think you need more accountability. I mean, obviously, the companies are very powerful uh, because it's been life transforming and yeah. economically transforming. So, the money involved is huge. It's been faster than the Industrial Revolution. And, uh, you know, when people are studying it in 100 years' time, they'll be talking about it in those terms. Yeah. And we just kind of lived through. Um, I mean, every five years is a new digital generation. From yeah, but but when it comes to stuff like, say, for instance, parallels like scientific work, medical work, um, even you know the work of journalists, there there are um, devices for setting and establishing standards mm-hmm. and saying, look, we want this to have a good rather than a bad effect. And just working on that, and I don't think we've come to the point of doing enough on it. I also think as well that it's incredibly dangerous for young teenagers. I I wonder if the industry collectively are a bit like where the car industry was in the 50s and 60s, where they knew there was lead coming out of the tailpipe. Um, didn't feel they had to care and yeah. you know knew for a long time that it was physically damaging the brains of children in cities and continued to not care and it was only when you know, regulation compelled them that they invested the research and the technologies to do it cleanly so I mean I think likewise with the with the social media companies um, well I, th- I think there is a de- I think as well you do need to keep uh, national structures as well as international structures because if it all goes completely offshore from Ireland and Europe, well then maybe the kind of, uh, what's, what's called nowadays in business, governance Yeah. maybe the governance goes so offshore that the governance isn't particularly relevant to a country like Ireland it doesn't do anything for, like the real test is, if somebody like a teenager is getting continuous threats, mm. they should be able to go and say I'd like to block yeah. totally these I mean one of the things I did uh, when I left the Doyle was I shut down all my social media and I, I enjoyed and, and, I, I, yeah. and I enjoyed my social media I particularly you liked one last Instagram. message saying adios no 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 I just I just closed it all down and in fact it was like becoming free Right. I, I, I live very close to the Phoenix Park. Uh, we were out walking all, to, all the time during the lockdown, having small chats with near neighbours and friends and so on. And uh, really, I didn't have any of this stuff to look at online. Oh, good for you. And so does that mean then that it, it, a return to the doll is not in your future? Um, you go out over fences? I certainly, haven't, I certainly haven't thought of that. I've, I've been doing a couple of other things. I'm Are involved. you still a counsellor, John? No, no. Yeah. I, I started off as a counsellor. Yeah. And um, what, I, what I'm doing now as well is something that I was involved in a long time ago. Um, I'm involved in a couple of charities, uh, particularly particularly uh, with Sightsavers in Ireland, okay. I chair their board, um, because if, if, if you've lived in developing countries, 
no more than living in Ireland, if somebody has lost their sight or has a serious sight difficulty, getting them help with addressing that is a fantastic way of giving not just them but their whole family uh, a fantastic way of um, earning a living and, and, and so on. And the other, the other issue that I've been very involved with uh, all down the years has been the whole history of institutions in Ireland. Yes, yeah. And I'm, I'm a member of the uh, Christine Buckley Centre okay. uh, who, who, who was a remarkable woman who, who brought a lot of this to life. Um, unfortunately, she sadly passed away far too young. People remember her on, was it on, was it States of Fear or something about her? Yes. She was yes. so articulate yes. that yes. heartbreakingly so. Yes. And uh, so that's basically supporting people who have come through that experience and uh, many of whom, uh, you know, because of the experiences they were through, they really need kind of friendships yeah. and uh, people and those opportunities that they mightn't have had in a very regimented childhood. Yeah. And uh, so, so, so it's very satisfying to give some of your time to things like that. It is. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, the memoir has to get written, that thick book. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. that's something I have to beat myself up on yeah. and do. <laughs> and uh, um, I don't, wherever else the world might take you, uh, um, would uh, would Michael D. Higgins' role uh, tempt you at any stage? Uh, uh, no, <laughs> I no. don't think so. I admire Michael D. And as I said, been extraordinary lucky in Ireland to have as three heads of state in a row, people who have been beacons yeah. for people pursuing whatever their goals are, but also having a very conscious collective sense. They have indeed, and you know they've enhanced the office of the presidency without without sort of enormously without, without moving its constitutional yeah. role personally i'm a little bit disappointed that michael d ran for a second term not that i grudge okay, the yeah, just that he yeah. always said he wouldn't and i think you know in the spirit of cincinnatus the most best thing you can do for your legacy is is is, is the yeah. stage yeah and um, so anyway but but no doubt they've been um in sequence three terrific presidents uh, so I won't, I won't draw you to definitive comment yeah. on that, Joe, just in case, because you never know, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, listen, thank you very much for your time. It's been a, a great pleasure talking to you. Um, and listen, I, I wish you all the best with, with whatever comes next. Well, thank you very much. And it's been delightful to be here. And the sun is now shining. The sun is now shining. My washing is getting dry. <laughs> hopefully Ireland has very good times and days ahead. I and we solve the housing crisis. And we say, well, you know, let's let start building houses. That that would help. Yes, <laughs> uh, John, that's fantastic. Thanks very much. So that's Joan Burton. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Do remember that you can access the full Driving Life archive of previous episodes at seniortimes.ie. In the meantime, thank you, Specsavers. Thank you, Doro Phones. Thank you, Expressway Buses, and thank you for listening. Drive safely, live happily, and come back and see us again. Why have regular eye tests at Specsavers? Well, they can help reveal health issues like diabetes and high blood pressure. Book an appointment online today.